You can now take KRBN Internet News Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very own West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose No Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bosevich. And now, here's Jay. Good afternoon, and it's another beautiful day in the Pacific Northwest, and you're listening to the Bose Nose Show, and I'm your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich, and we're coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon, where it's about 70 degrees, the relative humidity is down about 50%, there's puffy white clouds blowing around in the sky, and it's just drop-dead gorgeous out there. It's a nice evening to sit out on the lanai with an adult beverage with your spouse or significant other and just kind of relax a little bit. It is hump day, after all. But we've got the Bose Nose Show here, and you could sit out there and listen to the Bose Nose Show. That would be probably be even more fun. We've got some interesting topics coming up on the Bose Nose Show. We're going to talk about, you know, some something called iPause. And no, that isn't, you know, when you stop looking at your phone and actually pay attention to your spouse or significant other. It's the integrated public alert and warning system. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about a national test coming up. We're going to talk a little bit about public transit to Eugene and Florence. Mike talk a little bit about elected officials compensation. We got all sorts of things lined up here on the Bose Nose Show. But I'll talk about whatever you want to talk about if you give us a call at 646-721-9887, and just press 1. Let Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know you want to get in on the conversation. Again, that's 646-721-9887. Just press 1. So I, I mentioned this in my promos on Facebook, but there is a test coming up, and that was supposed to be tomorrow, but they've decided to a day or so ago because of Hurricane Florence to go to the backup date for the test, which is October 3rd. And in Pacific time, it's going to occur around just before 1120 AM. Uh, actually, they start out with the radio version. It's at 1118. And then the cell phone version of the system is going to go off at 1120. So at 1120, folks that have cell phones that are turned on and not on mute or buzz are going to hear this tone and get a get a display on on their phone which if you go to our Facebook live forecast you'll see the display and Robin if you could play cut number 1 system. It was what you're going to hear during the test of the iPause system on October 3rd at 1120. So be prepared because it's going to startle a lot of people in their offices. I'm really concerned about maybe some of the day sleepers that are on shift work that are going to get that tone, certainly going to jar them out of sleep. But it's just a test and it's a national test and it's going to go to every phone, and you can't block it. The only way you won't hear that tone is if you have your phone on silent before the test goes out or you actually turn the phone off. So be prepared because that's what's going to happen on October 3rd at 11.20 a.m. here on the Pacific Coast. Uh, it's it's uh, 2.20 in the afternoon over there on the East Coast. And that's happening because of an act of Congress. And that is the IPAUSE, 
Modernization Act of 2015, which required that a national test take place once every three years. Well, it's now 2018, so I guess they better get that test in <laughs> or they're going to violate an act of Congress. But what I have to wonder, and, and Robin and I were having this discussion off the air before the show, is how many accidents are going to occur on the West Coast at exactly 1120 a.m. on October 3rd when folks that are driving down the road and have their phone either sitting on the seat next to them in a purse or on their hip or in their pocket, and it suddenly makes that noise at full volume, <laughs> startles them, and they're scrambling to get to the phone to turn it off or to see what the fuck's going on. Excuse the French. Glad this is internet radio. <laughs> um, beep. Uh, don't have a delay. <laughs> but, you know, just the startling factor, because it, it seems like there's not a lot of people that heard about this test, and it was going to be tomorrow. So you can imagine, you know, in o October 3rd, I hope they do a better job between now and October 3rd about getting the word out. But you can imagine the people that are going to be scrambling for their phones. And then in Oregon, it's illegal to have your phone in your hand while you're driving your car. I wonder how many tickets will be issued on October 3rd for distracted driving. Oh, great. I forgot. I've got a clock in this room that I'm doing the phone, the show from, and it's late. Emergency alert. Emergency. <laughs> this is live radio, folks. And I had to switch rooms because one of the reasons I had to delay the show today is I've got a three-month-old puppy. My wife left town today to go to Seattle. I had a meeting that ran till four. I needed to get home, get the puppy out of, you know, because our employees leave at four. So I had to hurry home and get the puppy uh, out of lockup, so to speak, being locked in the kitchen uh, where he can't get into too much trouble and get all the dogs fed and everything else and settled down before I could do the show today. That's why we're at special time at six o'clock. And for what, for that reason, I'm doing the show from my den instead of my office. Uh, so I could be where the puppy is because he's not really allowed in my office because there's too many cords and other things on the floor that he can get into <laughs> while I'm distracted doing a radio show. So I'm in the den, and there's also, there's a mantle clock that chimes that seems to run behind the hour. So excuse the interruption, but that's why we're at 6 o'clock today, and it's just the woes of being a new puppy owner, and lots of fun. But, you know, he's, he's the funnest puppy, but he's decided in the last couple of days that the water dog part of being a poodle has come out in him, which one of the things people don't know is standard poodles were bred to be retrievers, water retrievers. Um, and he decided yesterday uh, to go swimming in our koi pond, which is big enough and deep enough for a three-month-old puppy to swim in without touching bottom. And he actually swam a, a, a decent adult dog stroke, according to my wife who witnessed this. Um, today, he decided he was going to play in one of the, my duck ponds, which are gross, you know, for my ducks because ducks are gross went in water. Um, and I had to give him a quick hosing off in the, in, in the, in the garden hose today. But, you know, he's just in, and he was breaking into the shower uh, to get in the shower with my wife this morning. So he's just decided he loves water. So puppies, puppies, puppies. You want to see more videos about puppies and all that? Go to my personal Facebook page. You, I'm easy to find, Jay Bozovich. You know, send me a friend request. You can get all the puppy pictures you ever want, all the videos. He is a hoot. The poodles are funny. But we'll get back to government business, national news, local news, and all that stuff here on the Bozno Show. Get a little bit more serious. We'll keep talking about iPaws. You know, the one thing, you know, I'm concerned about is the test isn't being really well um, advertised and communicated out. So I'm, that's one of the reasons why I'm concentrating on a little bit about this show. It is occurring during National Disaster Preparedness Month, or it was supposed to on the 20th. Now October 3rd is a little bit past it, but not quite. Um, it's an important part of our whole system. And one of the things that I learned about at our um, AOC public safety meeting a couple weeks back 
was this system's going through a modernization where a lot of uh, the equipment that was uh, in uh, 911 centers that communicates out to the um, radio stations, which is the EAS portion of this, uh, what is you're going to get on your cell phones is what is the WEA, which is the, um, the wireless um, emergency uh, alert system that hits cell phones. EAS is what hits the radio and TV. Um, that system that communicates back and forth is, you know, they were, they upgraded and replaced with these new digital systems. One of the things is a lot of the digital systems go over the internet to get to the radio stations. So they're actually now going through and installing new um, analog uh, systems that, that use radio waves basically to get to the, the ra local radio state, the designated radio and TV stations uh, as backup to the digital system if the digital system goes down with whatever emergency that occurs, which pretty much happens uh, on a regular basis. So kind of interesting. But the iPod system is just an important piece of our whole emergency preparedness system and ability to get information out quickly. It'll become really important if we ever get the shake alert system up and running in Oregon, which will actually give, uh, you know, from a from 10 seconds to several minutes warning of an earthquake's uh, actual heavy shaking getting to your location, depending on how far away from the epicenter you are and where the epicenter is located and, and the detection um, uh, monitoring stations where they're located. But it, you know, one of the things about that is most of the injuries and deaths in an earthquake are from falling down and falling objects. And even 10 seconds of warning that could get you to, to drop, cover, and hold, you know, which is you know, get low, get under something, and stay there, um, could avoid those falling over and falling object injuries that are so prevalent in earthquakes. So if you could limit the amount of immediate emergency response needed for the injuries by that alert system, you could really reduce the, the load on the emergency responders after an earthquake. Um, then it would just be the more serious, you know, building collapses, et cetera. Um, but so that iPod system is such an important piece because that, that WEA, that wireless alert, wireless uh, emergency alert system is the part that the shake alert system communicates with to get those shake alerts out to your cell phone. Uh, so you could know that, you know, and the shake alert system is very similar, comes on with that tone and says 10 seconds till heavy, you know, shaking, you know, I, I forget how it says it, but it basically tells you how long it's coming and starts a countdown on your phone, you know, nine, eight, seven, six, you know, large numeral countdown. Um, so, hoping to get that system installed. Unfortunately, um, the Oregon legislature hasn't made it a very high priority to get that system up and running. So it's taking years, even though it's in place for the most part in California and Washington state is way ahead of us in getting their system installed. And Mexico, the country of Mexico has had that system in place for almost 25 years. Uh, not the calling the cell phone part of it, but the actual um, shake alert system where they, they get alerts out over radio and TV ahead of the actual shaking occurring in an area. So um, it's just, you know, because the electronic signals from the monitoring stations can get there faster than the actual P wave comes through the Earth's crust on, on the earthquake. Uh, one travels at basically the speed of electrons. The other one travels at the speed of sound. Uh, so it's, it's a, a race that the electrons win most of the time and, uh, you can get that early alert, but, you know, it's really, you know, we talk, we've talked quite a bit about disaster preparedness on the Bose nose show over the last couple of weeks, part, partly because it is disaster preparedness month, but it is definitely, um, that iPod system is definitely just that integral piece of it. And that wire wireless emergency alert system is too. So the need to test it and see if it's actually working is really important. But, you know, what's interesting is, 
you know, the name of the system, you know, as it comes out on your phone, it's the presidential alerts. And there's actually people that are objecting to the fact that they can't block an alert from President Trump, so to speak. It wouldn't matter who the president is. It just says presidential alert. <laughs> but there are people that are actually objecting because of who the president is, that they're going to, going to get a presidential alert they can't block. Um, <laughs> just amazing me politics gets into everything um but so be prepared october 3rd you're going to be hearing that alert hopefully we won't see a whole mess of traffic accidents or tickets being issued on october 3rd at 11:20 a.m as that alert goes over and people aren't aware that it's going to be going out uh over both the radio and your cell phone um and hopefully it won't shock and scare a lot of people and they'll get a little bit better word out to the public that that test is coming on October 3rd. So I wanted to shift gears a little bit and talk a little bit about public transit. You know, we, we passed this huge transportation bill uh, back in 2017, which just happened to be called House Bill 2017 in 2017. Uh, just a luck of the numbering. Uh, but in that bill, not only did it increase your gasoline tax and your car registration fee, it started something that you're seeing on your paychecks now. As of July 1st, there is a little tiny tax for the state for mass transit. And that tiny tax on your paycheck amongst the 4 million folks in Oregon you know, of which only a couple million of us are working, um, still adds up to a fair amount of revenue to the state. And they're going to be distributing it back out, and it's supposed to go to um, existing transit districts or the counties, if there is no transit district in that county, to encourage um, expansion of mass transit and particularly underserved rural areas. So one of the things uh, that's being undergone right now is a survey where they're looking for people's responses to the possibility of setting up a public transit route between Eugene and Florence on the coast. We do have one that runs way up the Mackenzie River um, and serves a lot of small rural communities. So this would you know, be a similar route for uh, either LTD or contract service to run. Uh, and it, so they're looking for feedback right now and the actual survey, you can get to it, uh, it's, I think like a doodle poll sort of survey, uh, on the City of Florence's website. Uh, if you can't find it there, KZI ran a story um, recently, so you can go to KZI's website, uh, their news website, and you'll see a story with a link to the survey, uh, and you can get to it that way. But to get your feedback, I think it, for my district, Obviously, it, that is my district to be an important link. There is already mass transit service to Benita. Uh, and in fact, that service has been beefed up some because of the presence of the first call resolutions or SCRs uh, call center in Benita has added demand for bus service out there. And they've actually picked up the number of buses and partly because they only have to run into Walmart where they connect with the MX system there so they can actually run more buses rather than having to run from Benita to all the way into downtown to the um, transfer station in, in Eugene, downtown Eugene. Just have to run to Walmart and back with the buses that come to Benita. But it, you know, whether those buses keep going on to Florence would be interesting and how often, how many times a day. But I could see where it'd be a real boon uh, to some of the small communities in between, like Notai, Walton, Mapleton, um, to have mass transit passing back and forth through them. Because um, there are folks that sometimes, you know, don't have a car available, uh, high school kids and, and, and that are capable of riding a bus without parental supervision to get to places, um, seniors that may not be driving as much, um, being able to catch a bus in um, Mapleton to get into Florence to uh, Peace Harbor Hospital for a medical appointment and get back out to Mapleton, or even you know the fact that you know 
grocery shopping is a little bit limited in Mapleton. There is a grocery store there, uh, but not a very big one, but there is a Safeway and a Fred Meyer in Florence. Um, so the ability to get into where um, services, uh, medical uh, services and, and shopping and, and all that um, would be kind of important for those rural communities that are in between Eugene and Florence. Some people, you know, mostly are thinking about, oh, this would be great for the tourism economy of Florence for people to be able to grab a bus and get out to Florence. And there's a lot of people in between there, too, that this would, would possibly serve. So I'm kind of a fan of, of at least going through the experiment of trying to see if it'll work. It's a little bit more of a stretch than doing the Blue River Run, because at least the Blue River Run, there's a, there's a community just about every couple miles, it seems, along uh, Highway 126 where um, and kind of a destination up there with um, Mackenzie Bridge and the Mackenzie River Trail and a lot of uh, stuff. So it'd be interesting to see because there's a couple big gaps in the way to Florence where there's nothing. You know, basically from Walton to Mapleton, there is almost no reason to have a bus line. There's just a few few houses in between there, uh, and that's it. A lot of national forest land, a lot of um, privately owned forest land, a lot of uh, Oregon, California timber land out there, even some state uh, forest land, but there's not a lot of people between those two. There's even a bit of a gap um, up with not a whole lot between Mapleton and Florence other than Cushman and maybe Tiernan, which are um, basically dots on a map uh, when you think about the number of people there. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how that comes out. But, you know, they, you know we've, we've got this revenue stream that's been established. We'd like to see uh, Lane County get, you know, at least get some benefit out of it. And if it can establish something that actually helps our tourism economy in Florence and uh, actually helps maybe workforce get to uh, Florence, because one of the issues they're having in Florence right now is a lot of those tourism-type um, businesses are having a real hard time getting employees because you know there's a lot of competition in the workforce right now, and there's so little workforce housing on the coast. So having a mass transit system that would connect out there from communities that maybe are a little bit less expensive to live in, like Mapleton, like Walton, like Notai, like Veneta even, um, might be able to supply workforce to those businesses on the coast to support the tourism economy, as well as bring tourists out there. You know, when when the 2021 world gets here, there are going to be people that come for the world that want to see Oregon and, and a quick bus trip on mass transit, which a lot of folks from across the world are used to having that available, um, you know, to ride out there and, you know, dip a toe in the Pacific Ocean, uh, eat a bowl of clam chowder at Moe's on, in Old Town and, uh, you know, kind of take in some of that. Uh, that may be something pretty special. And now there's a pilot project that's running right now between um, Yahats and Florence up and down the coast, which would, you know, if we could go from Eugene to Florence and then catch the bus up to Yahats and back, you're seeing some pretty amazing coastline. Uh, all with just buying some uh, transit tickets. So it should, uh, should be interesting. If you're interested in that survey, again, it's on the City of Florence's website. So if you, uh, uh, you know, go, go City of Florence, Oregon in, into Google, you should find their website and be able to get it there. If not, it's on the KEZI website uh, about the Eugene Florence Public Transit Survey. Uh, so that's something in the news now. And, of course, uh, you know, you can also call me and tell me what you think of the idea of putting public transit between uh, Eugene and Florence. Or if you want to talk about the iPause system or anything else you want to talk about here on the Bo's Nose Show, we are always open to callers' topics because that makes the show interesting in a conversation. So give us a call at 646 646- 721-9887. Just press one. And that lets uh, Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know that you want to get in on the conversation. Again, that's 
721-9887. Just press one. As I continue the Bo's Nose Show now with my cat sitting in my lap, it's another thing about doing live radio over the internet from your home. You never know what's going to pop into your lap in the middle of the show. You guys can't hear the purring, I'm sure, um, but she is. It's all animals all the time here at, on the Bo's Nose Show. So we talked a little bit about the uh, IPAWS test on October 3rd. We talked a little bit about public transit between Eugene and Florence. Now we'll kind of get into some stuff that's just kind of been going on over the last week, county business-wise. Just got out of a Homes for Good board meeting, and Homes for Good is what used to be the Housing and Community Services Authority of Lane County, which is, you know, this is a much shorter name for that. Um, but we actually passed the annual budget today, which is $35 million plus, almost $35.5 million a year that goes through that particular entity. And it's an interesting organization because it's not really county government. It's actually an extension of the federal government called for um, under the HUD rules that you have to have a housing authority to receive HUD funds. But it has to be done by uh, county, the way it's set up. So the count, the board of commissioners is the majority of the board of homes for good. We also have two um, resident uh, citizen uh, commissioners that are residents of uh, or or cust, uh, customers for homes for good. So we get the input from um, the people that homes for good are serving on the board. But that thirty-five million is you know quite a bit of change when you think about it. It's almost entirely federal funds. Um, but it's it's pretty interesting how many different things Home for Good Homes for Good does from they run the Section Eight uh rental voucher program for the county. So all the Section Eight uh housing stuff comes through Homes for Good. They also do uh most of the um uh, heating assistance uh, work uh, through the county, including a lot of the uh, low-income uh, weatherization programs. They also run several um, what people would consider low-income housing projects around the county uh, and are getting ready to uh, construct several more. They're, one of the major things they do here in Lane County is develop those low-income housing and workforce housing projects. And, uh, you know, we, we just completed the uh, the Oaks at 14th, which is a, a project for folks coming out of prison uh, to uh, be a, a transitional and even permanent housing for some of those that, that are um, disabled. And we have a um, project on the books there in, as, as kind of as in tandem with the expansion of the Fifth Street Market and the Market District projects um, at Six and Oak for some workforce housing that's coming up soon. We also have the um, the um, assisted housing project that we're getting ready to do next door to our behavioral health project on Martin Luther King Boulevard. Um, you know, also referred to as a housing first project, and uh, really lots of stuff going on there with Homes for Good. Really trying to bridge and, and help people through that, um, you know, this housing crisis of affordability. Uh, although, you know, this is kind of the, the Band-Aid support of treating the symptom of the crisis. It's not actually curing the crisis. We've talked about the cures on the Bose Nose Show before, which is just more housing. We need to make it easy, cheap, and affordable for housing to be built and developed in this county. Um, and most of that is in the control of the cities as our um, statewide land use laws greatly limit what counties can do outside of cities. And I've, we're working to be good partners with the cities in any way they can to help new housing be built in, this, in Lane County. Also attended the Lane Regional Air Protection Agency's board meeting Last Thursday, it's been a busy week for Commissioner Bozovich here, and uh, 
We talked a little bit about Cleaner Air Oregon as we're getting ready to uh, have to amend all the local um, ordinances, which they call titles, um, for El Rapa to uh, adjust them to match up with the state changes in their um, for air toxics that the Cleaner Air Oregon um, rules are going to address, and it should be it should be an improvement um, in addressing some some gaps in our um, air protection laws here in the state of Oregon. In addition to that, we um, reviewed some changes that are coming up October 1st to open burning uh, rules, which is El Rapid Title 47, speaking of titles, um, where uh, the, the major change, you know, if you're almost anywhere in Lane County, there hasn't been a lot of change other than there's some things you can't burn. There are some limitations on ceremonial fires that are in place. Those actually all started last spring. But the big change is fall. If you're in the Eugene urban growth boundary area between the city limits and the urban growth boundary, uh, that's like unincorporated Santa Clara River Road. Um, there's some areas up north of the Ferry Street Bridge area up there uh, close to uh, the Mackenzie River. There's some, even some areas out um, in the Bethel and uh, that industrial corridor area along the Northwest Expressway. Basically, open burning is uh, prohibited unless you have a parcel that is two acres or larger. It used to be a half acre and it's been now um, the size of the parcel has gone up to two acres. And this was because of the number of complaints uh, and the inability of, on smaller lots to keep smoke from impacting a neighbor. Uh, so they went to a two acre parcel size on that, which greatly reduces the number of people that are gonna be allowed to burn in that Eugene UGB. Um, so be interesting to see how that rolls out um, this fall as we try and make sure people are aware of that two acre minimum lot size in the Eugene UGB. If you're over on the Springfield side of the highway, it's still half acre. So that hasn't changed over there. This was something the folks in Eugene wanted to have put in place. Um, and we kind of came, they actually wanted to ban it. And we actually came to this compromise of two acres. So that was going on there at El Rapa. <clears throat> And then we had a board meet, uh, a budget committee meeting on Monday uh, this week. And in that, we have to call the budget committee together once every two years because our charter and Oregon uh, statutes require that we um, form a committee called the Elected Officials Compensation um, Board. Uh, uh, and we formed this committee to look at all of our elected officials' compensation and make a recommendation to the budget committee, who then makes a recommendation to the board, and that's who actually approves the, those um, compensation for the sheriff, the district attorney, the county assessor, the uh, justice of the peace for our justice courts, and uh, the county commissioners. Those are our elected officials in Lane County that are, that are um, we have control of the salaries. And the elected officials uh, compensation board met and looks at the same five county comparators that we look at when we're negotiating with our uh, bargaining units like AFSCME and our um, law enforcement folks, um, even, you know, uh, you know, even our nurses, we kind of look at these same five counties, which are basically the counties that are like the same size of us, at like Marion County, a couple counties that are bigger than us, like Clackamas and Washington County, and a couple counties that are smaller than us, which are Deschutes and Jackson. Basically, population-wise, we sit in the middle of that group and um, and looking at what they pay their elected officials and seeing whether we're kind of in line. We also look at internal and external equity issues um, in each department 
And one of the things we have to be careful of is making sure that the elected officials are being paid more than their subordinates. Because we have three elected officials and also Justice of Peace that have employees that work directly for them. Um, and in the case of, of the uh, district attorney and the sheriff, the district attorney already made less than the deputy uh, chief deputy district attorney position does. And the sheriff uh, was getting ready to fall behind the um, chief deputy position in um, the sheriff's department as uh, various um, colas and stuff hit the, uh, the chief deputy's position hadn't hit the sheriff's department because they're not automatic with elected officials. They actually have to be voted on, recommended by the elected officials compensation board and voted on by the board of commissioners and actually um, put in place before the November election so that the November elections being held, not so much that they are effective before then, but we have to make the decision before the November election so the voters are aware of that when they cast their vote in November. And it was all set up for that reason, and it happens every two years. And basically, we approved some pretty considerable increases for the sheriff, um, the district attorney, and the county assessor, because um, they were pretty far behind their peers. And they're also, all three of them are department heads and and when you compare um, the district attorney, they weren't getting paid um, as much as our county council. When you think about the district attorney and the county council, they're basically the managing partners of a law firm. Uh, and you look at the number of people in their department as that's like the size of a law firm. And they're both managing, and in fact, the DA is managing a slightly larger staff than the the, the um uh, county council is, but you know, they're if they're out in the private side managing that size of uh, a law firm, they'd be making way more money. But uh, fortunately, you know, we're able to get them for the price we do. But there was a discrepancy between the county council and the district attorney. The district attorney was also making less than the deputy district attorney position, so we we had to do a fair amount of catch up in that position. Um, the the Sheriff wasn't quite as much, but it was mostly to get him to keep keep him up with his peers from other counties, as well as um, making sure he stays ahead of the chief deputy. Um, so that that's uh, was important there. The assessor was way behind um, other counties in many ways, and this county in particular, um, I ask our assessor to do more than some other counties. There are other counties where assessment and taxation are two completely separate functions and they have not only an assessor they also have a county tax collector um, so our assessor is both he's assessment and taxation so he actually takes on a role that is split in some counties and was actually making less than some of the pure assessors were in other counties that didn't have the tax collection side to worry about also and the size staff that's underneath of him. And in comparing his salary with our public works director, our director of health and human services, and some of our other department heads around the county are, you know, uh, uh, that, that was, it, there was an equity in, there was an internal equity issue there also. So those three positions were getting rather large, somewhat large increases. I mean, they're, they're in the, uh, uh, 11% range, and I can't remember the exact number. It's not in front of me. Um, we our, our justice of the peace. We gave a rather large increase last time uh, to the justice of the peace. So this time we just uh, to not fall that far behind again. We agreed to give a 2% cola on January 1st and another 2% cola the following January 21st, January 1st of the next year. Um, to the justice of the peace so they they don't keep falling behind as the that you know inflation and uh, everything uh, and that two percent cola kind of lines up with the two percent colas that are in the contracts of most of our bargaining units right now and the two percent cola we gave our non-represented employees then it got down to the commissioners and, and it was really the those four positions 
where no controversy approved by the budget committee got down to the commissioners and boy, that raised a lot of uh, talk because, you know, we got fairly hefty increase two years ago. Um, and it was because we were so far behind our peers. And once again, we we're still well behind our peers. We are the lowest paid commissioners of any of the five counties we compare with. And, um, and really uh, significantly lower. So the elected officials compensation board, which by the way is made up of HR professionals that come out of the public and private sector. Um, you know, these are folks that are like the human resources person that you know used to be with Bowtech um, the, and just transferred to uh, uh, I think the UVO Foundation as, as their HR person. Um, just to, as a for example, um, and these these are really knowledgeable people when it comes to compensation and what's competitive in the marketplace, what's fair, what's equitable, what you know doesn't deal with you know compression and being paid less than subordinates, et cetera. Um, they were recommending a pretty hefty increase for the commissioners again, and I just you know I voted against the last one because I just thought we were trying to catch up too fast. And really, we didn't catch up at all. In fact, we fell further behind, even with that big raise we got last time. And uh, they were proposing um, basically another 16% increase, 15.5, I think, or 14.5. Um, they had a secondary proposal of a 9% increase, followed up with a 2% COLA in a year. Um, that would put us basically on a par with Deschutes County, which is the lowest paid of our five comparators. I was willing to accept just two, 2% COLAs because I kind of thought, you know, that, you know, given, you know, our public isn't exactly receiving huge raises, et cetera. That's what I was looking for walking in. After hearing a lot of the committee and realizing that there was a lot of energy around getting a pretty big raise involved, I kind of made a proposal for a compromise because uh, I think they were looking at going after that middle ground of the matching to Shoots County. I proposed that we do a 3% market adjustment and a 2% COLA each of the next two years, basically a 5%, a little bit more than a 5% because they kind of multiply increase um, this year and a 5%. In, in the next year, it's still, it, we won't catch up to Deschutes County. We'll still be the lowest paid county. And of course, Deschutes County may get increases over the next two years. So we will still be the lowest paid county of the six large counties in Oregon, um, not including Multnomah, because they're a little bit too big to compare to us. So that was the proposal that the Budget Committee recommended to the Board of Commissioners that we'll get to consider later on here in one of our next upcoming uh, board meetings uh, in October. So that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, I will say that um, Commissioner Williams voted against um, the proposal. He didn't think we should get any increase. Commissioner Farr voted against the proposal because he thought we should get the highest increase. Um, so everyone else voted for it though. It was a 6-2 vote for the Budget Committee. Um, we had one member not present. And we have one empty position um, on the budget committee right now that hasn't been filled. So that's what's happening with commissioners' compensation. It's really an awkward thing. There's nobody that can approve the commissioner's salaries other than the commissioners, the way um, government's set up in Lane County. As a home rule county, we are the buck stops here as far as approving salaries go in the county. So we have to deal with our own pay raises. It's one of the reasons why we're so far behind other counties is it's, it's a difficult thing to do politically, to increase your own pay. So hopefully this was a, enough of a compromise. It's not too big. It doesn't catch us up, um, but it doesn't let us fall as far behind as we've been falling. And uh, you know, it will help us get good candidates to run for the county commissioner's positions um, that, you know, can match up to the skill set needed to run 
an organization of 1,400 employees with over a $600 million budget and, and uh, with the wide variety of services we have to deal with and all the things we have to understand and be knowledgeable in to make good decisions for the county and at the same time have 70,000 constituents, 70,000 plus constituents that we have to provide constituent services for at the same time. It's, it's a uh, pretty big job and you really want to have people that are competent, skillful, that can you know read budgets, understand land use law, um, you know, and understand collective bargaining law, and, you know, have all those skills and, and be able to help manage a county is um, a skill set that, uh, you know, most people won't do without, this, you know, pretty good compensation. So it helps us attract um, good candidates to run for office to, to keep our compensation up uh, close to what some of the other counties are doing. So we got some stuff coming up next week that should be fun to deal with. Um, we got the Hazeldale quarry out in um, Oak Ridge coming back to us on a remand from Luba with five specific issues that we were supposed to be addressed by the applicant uh, to try and get approval to fix that Luba said that he that they failed on the first time around. Some of them were just kind of technical things like um, demonstrating some dust control uh, that, that were, you know, the effectiveness of the dust control being proposed. Some of them would be a bit more um, interesting, like big game habitat, um, because that was um, a big issue. But uh, the one issue they did not remand on was anything to do with um, impact to um, cultural artifacts uh, involving Native Americans or anything like that. So that won't be an issue we're dealing with in our ability to make a decision. I'm sure we'll probably hear testimony about that and other issues that aren't part of the five specific items that were remanded back to the county um, by, by the Land Use Board of Appeals. That's what LUBA stands for. Um, but that should be interesting. That's in the afternoon this Tuesday in Harris Hall, and we will be having a public hearing. So if you're interested in the Hazeldale Quarry in Oak Ridge, uh, it'll be 1.30, Time certain, Harris Hall, Tuesday. So be there. Um, we'll be ready and waiting to listen to your testimony um, and uh, most likely going to be holding the written record open uh, after that hearing for folks to uh, provide additional testimony for a couple weeks. So um, won't probably be making a decision on Tuesday, but we will be hearing from folks and the applicant about how they fix their application to address the issues of um, the Land Use Board of Appeals. We're also going to be hearing a little bit about the Public Safety Coordinating Council, and I actually have a um, meeting of the Public Safety Coordinating Council tomorrow afternoon, so maybe next week on the Bose Doe Show we'll be talking a little bit about that. We're also going to be receiving the audit annual audit on Travel Lane County from the uh, third-party auditors which is a fiduciary responsibility of the Board of Commissioners because they are utilizing the transient room taxes, which are Lane County taxes that we have uh, agreed to provide to Travel Lane under a grant. Um, so this is a follow-up on, on the, that grant through the audit. And after the audit presentation, um, we'll be getting the annual report from Travel Lane, which will be interesting because that should contain all the, those interesting facts and figures about how the travel industry is doing in Lane County, how much it's grown over the last year uh, and how healthy it is and wh where it's going and um, should be kind of interesting. So we'll be talking tourism on Tuesday. We'll be talking public safety a little bit and we'll be talking rock quarries. So that's what's coming up for the Board of Commissioners next week here in Lane County. And if there's something you want to talk about or have us talk about at the Board of Commissioners, give me a call, 646-721-9887 here on the Bose Nose Show, and just press 1, and that lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know if you want to get in on the conversation. Again, that's 646-721-9887, just press 1. So I want to jump into the what were they thinking portion of the Bose Nose Show, 
And I should say, what was he thinking? Because I'm giving the award this week to Ken Darling. And I don't know if you folks saw the article in the paper last week, but um, Mr. Darling is the great-great-grandson of Eugene Skinner, the founder of Eugene, and also the person that donated the land for the county seat of Lane County to be Eugene. Um, as, and uh, that donation and the deed restrictions with that donation have been you know, the subject of a little bit of controversy. In fact, there's actually two deeds to Lane County from the Skinners that are present. And trying to clarify that issue is why we're going through a quiet title um, process in the courts. And Mr. Darling is one of 40 plus descendants we were, that we've contacted. And he's the only descendant that is objecting um, to our interpretation of the first deed that was recorded, the oldest deed, uh, that has very little restriction on the land uh, being the correct deed and the, and the ability for uh, us to actually transfer some of that remainder land to the city of Eugene for um, a farmer's market, possible city hall, and us being able to build our courthouse just outside of the donation um, from, the, from the Skinners. But he's been the one that's all along been talking about how awful the county is, how they're not honoring his ancestors' legacy and everything else. Well, lo and behold, suddenly we get, you know, our county council gets contacted by Mr. Darling that he'd like $10 million tax-free to basically withdraw his objections and go away uh, you know, about, about this whole land transfer deed thing. Um, and when he was informed that um, we can't give him money tax-free, uh, that, that's something that we can't do. Um, he decided he wanted $13 million to cover the taxes. And then I guess he went back and did some math and understood that 35% of $13 million uh, would, would actually take out more than $3 million and leave him less than $10 million. Did the math and realized, oh, if I ask him for $15.6 million, I'll end up with $10 million after taxes. <laughs> and that's what he came back and was asking us for. Um, and we basically did not respond to that request partly because even if he's dropped his objection, it does not clear the title questions up about the deeds. So he was asking for $15.6 million to do something that would actually not resolve the issue that's out there, which is that, you know, there is a cloud on the title of that land uh, based on the fact that there were two deeds recorded um, transferring it. So, uh, I just don't know what Mr. Darling was thinking uh, when he made that request for the $10 million tax-free, ultimately $15.6 million taxable <laughs> to go away and not object to the uh, the land swap with the city of Eugene anymore, um, even though it doesn't really resolve the issue of whether the title is clear and free. And that's the issue for the city of Eugene to actually accept the land swap. So, you know, paying him $15.6 million to basically do nothing legally um, wasn't going to be helpful. So what was he thinking? I have no idea. So, Robin, you got it. What, what were they thinking for this week? What were they thinking? I think my biggest one is that WEA thing and uh, just what, what all is going to happen because of it. Yeah, you were the one that actually pointed out to me the whole issue of Oregon has, <laughs> has a law against handling your cell phone while driving. And what are people going to do when their cell phones go off and they didn't realize this was a test or anything? <laughs> and that awful signal comes across. Yeah, all at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah, all at the same time. I can imagine that, you know, some intersection or busy, busy roadway and, and just... Yeah, you know, I just had to drive to to SeaTac Airport and back um, to get my global entry uh, interview, um, which lets me go through customs without standing in line. Mostly doing that because my wife already has it. I'm going to be in England with her, and I don't want to have to go through line while she doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> um, but driving in some of the traffic around Seattle and Portland, 
oh my gosh. And it's bumper to bumper, stop and go traffic. Can you imagine suddenly everyone in that stop and go traffic's fun, fun, fumbling for a cell phone? How many rear enders are there? <laughs> you know, I was thinking, you know, those uh, billboards, those LED uh, video billboards. Yeah, yeah. It would be good if all of them at the same time warned drivers a minute before. Yeah, more than a minute. Maybe like even started a couple minutes before. Test coming. Your cell phone's about to go off. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and uh, also the the bus LTD bus uh, service to uh, Florence and a way to increase ridership is turn it into. Da, 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 party bus. <laughs> yeah, um, that that doesn't that doesn't work so well sometimes. But you know, I do think you know the the casino already runs a bus from Walmart out to the casino every day. Yeah. But you have to go in the casino and gamble, or they won't let you back on in the afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> we'll hold you hostage. Literally, they, they they check to make sure you go in and participate in, in the casino for your free ticket. <laughs> so um, you can get to Florence as long as you're willing to gamble away a few bucks in the one-armed bandits um, on the casino bus. But then you're at the casino, but the uh, uh, Florence has got a a um, you know the the uh, roadie express that goes around town. It doesn't. It's not quite as um, robust as some LTD service, but there is um, some transit service in Florence that does go to the casino. So once you're at the casino, you can get on the Road Express and get around Florence. And now you can actually get all the way to Yahat. So if you're willing to go and gamble, you know, I don't know what the minimum is to get a bus ticket to the casino. You can actually take the bus to Florence now. (laughs) (laughs) Is that going to, do you know if that's going to increase the fare or is it going to be pretty much the same for everything? Uh, to get to Florence, yeah, yeah, I don't know what how the fare system works. I'm going to learn a lot about it this Saturday because I've got another meeting on Saturday <laughs> with with LTD's um, fare review committee that I was asked to serve on. Oh, so well, I can honestly say I've never ridden the bus, but I have driven it once. Yeah, I've ridden the bus one time, and it was on the way back from. Um, a tour that was on it that we used an LTB bus for the transportation committee came down and toured the Eugene Springfield area. Uh-huh. And we ended up taking the MX back into town from Springfield. So we got on an MX bus. Of course we didn't pay for it because we were part of this tour. So I still don't know anything about fares. Yeah. And from what I understand the LTD or the MX bus is from people that have ridden it, but it's annoying as far as it won't shut up. Yeah. You're coming up on Polk Avenue. Now we're coming up within Washington Street. Please stand by as we are approaching the... Yeah. Well, you know, the subways do that, but half the time you can't understand what they do. You know, I've ridden the, the metro in Washington, D.C. quite a bit. And it's like... Yeah, and would you like fries with that? Yeah. Oh gosh, Bill Cosby back when he was funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, did a routine about them hiring drunks to announce the bus schedule at the Greyhound bus station. <laughs> uh, hey, you know what would really be awesome, by the way, in the last 30 seconds? Sure. If people would hit that like button and subscribe. Yes, yes, yeah. Hit the like button for our Facebook page, KRBN News Talk Radio. Um, so, well, thank you for putting up with me for the last hour here on the Bose Nose Show at our special time today because of puppy uh, and even the interruptions with with uh, mantle clocks and kitty cats and everything else we've had today. Puppy power. Puppy power, yes. And remember, October 3rd, 1120 a.m., your phone is going to make a horrible sound. It's a test. Ignore it. Don't Do not pick up and get a ticket. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry. All right. Well, thank you for listening to Bo's Nose Show. I'm your host, Westland County Commissioner Jay Bozovich. We'll see you next time live from beautiful downtown Elmira 
have a great week.